Does God intend Christians to sit back and allow evil to rule in society? Is the gospel a tremendous failure or does God expect to do more through his church? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in the Wilkes-Barre and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or to pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com. That's our central hub. And on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. And that is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can find us in person, at least for now, until things get super, super cold, in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square every Sunday at noon. We have, we have street meetings out there. We sing, we preach, we talk with people, we pray with them. That's every Sunday at noon in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square. So you can find us there. You can also contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. I have been reading out of the um, Rhesus Chronological Bible, so it takes the King James Version of the Bible and then puts everything chronologically, and it's maybe a little bit different than a lot of chronological Bibles in that it doesn't just take things chapter by chapter. I mean, it, it chops things up and puts them around. Whether or not every bit and piece of that is exactly the way it should be chronologically, it's very enlightening and revealing uh, with certain areas of Scripture. One of those that I would like to look at at this point is the restoration of Israel, uh, which is about 516 to 400 BC. And this is the time uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, specifically we're looking at today, Esther. Um, I think a lot of us that are, that are Christians are familiar with the Bible. We at least know a little bit about the story of Esther. But for those that don't know, I just want to recap what had happened. So Esther was a, a Jewish girl. Her parents had been killed. She was brought up by her uncle and they lived in um, the Medo-Persia area and they lived right uh, near the palace of Shushan. And at that point, Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, he was uh, pretty much a nobody. Um, on Low on the totem pole, a lot of people didn't really know particularly who he was. And the king at this point he had a wife who was pretty. She was nice to look at. And he, out of the pride of his heart, wanted to flaunt uh, his wife's beauty and asked his, his wife, Queen Vashti, if she would just kind of stand up in front of people as they're having day, uh, day upon day upon day of feasts and drunkenness and celebration. I want people to see how gorgeous my wife is, essentially. So he puts his wife, he, he asks his wife to go out and do this. She refuses to do it. She doesn't want to be an object of you know, this king's pride. And he gets outraged. He says to his counselors, what are we supposed to be doing here? His counselors say, well, if 
we allow this to go on, then all the ladies in the entire province, they will rebel against their husbands and we're going to have a real big problem on our hands. So you should just uh, divorce her, send her away and get some more upstanding citizen, uh, another queen in her place that'll actually listen to you. Well, he goes throughout all the land and uh, gathers up all of the attractive women. And he has guys going out, finding all these attractive women, pulling them in, having to go through all the purification rites uh, of the Medo-Persians uh, before he can see these ladies. And out of all of these, choose which one he likes best. Who do you think he chooses? Esther, this Jewish lady who had been scattered because of the Babylonian captivity in the midst of this Medo-Persian empire. There she is. He sees her and then says, I want her to be queen. So she ends up becoming the queen and, and has favor in his sight. Then there ends up being a man who is the right-hand man of Mordecai, Haman, gets into power, and he's a power-hungry guy. He likes that people bow down to him and give him respect and all, but the one thing that bothered him was this Mordecai, he didn't bow down to him. Mordecai's his whole thought was, I bow down to God. I don't bow down to a man like this. Now, I'm not saying that we couldn't bow out of respect like Chinese culture would be. You bow out of respect. But the implication was that this Haman was akin to a deity uh, in which Mordecai had no place with that, wasn't going to bow down to this man. And that made Haman so angry, he's trying to figure out ways on how he can get back. And it wasn't enough to just get back at Mordecai. He's, he decided he was going to try and exterminate the entire Jewish race. And so... He devises all these plans to do so. He writes up a, um, a law, and the law of the Medo-Persians was once a law was written up, it couldn't be undone. So he writes up a law and is going to, on a certain day, slaughter the Jews. And then the culmination of all of that, he's going to build, and he does end up building a huge gallows to hang Mordecai on. Now, the crazy thing about this story is in the midst of all this, Mordecai is saying to his, like his daughter, but his niece, you are here for a specific purpose. Who knows whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this, he says to her. And he says, if you don't do anything, do you think you're going to escape death and all the things that are going to go on to your, your family, the Jews? He said, it's going to happen to you too. And if you don't do it, God will find somebody else to do his work. But he said, I think you've come here for this time, for this purpose. So the law was that if she was to go into the king's presence to ask him anything without him beckoning uh, a person, and it was anybody really beckoning, uh, the king had to beckon this person, they could risk dying if he just desired that, you know, that's it. I don't want to see this person anymore. He doesn't extend his scepter out as a token of, come on, you can speak with me. Then it could be immediate death. So she asks all the Jews to pray and fast. She ends up going in and the king extends the scepter. She said before that, if I perish, I perish. I'm going in, I'm going to do the right thing. Well, the king extended his scepter, says, what would you like up to the half of my kingdom? She says, I'd like a, a dinner, um, a supper. Uh, with you and Haman uh, and, and just a, a, a giant banquet. Naturally, this gets the king's curiosity. After that, uh, the king can't sleep. And he's he says, bring me the, the, the chronicle books, you know, the history books of our empire and things that have happened. I can't sleep. You know, give me a boring history book so I can get some rest. Well, he gets, some, uh, gets somebody to read him books. And then he finds out that Mordecai um, 
and he didn't know that was who it was at that point, but he find he finds out that Mordecai spared his life because he found some kind of conspiracy that people were going to kill the king and he let people know and the king was spared. And he said, well, what was done? The king says, what was done to reward this Mordecai for saving my life? They said, uh, nothing, my Lord, nothing at all. And then he says, well, he's thinking, what should I do? And he, he says, go out into the courtyard and find somebody I need to counsel who happens to be out there, but Haman. And Haman was mulling over, going in there to try and hang Mordecai on the gallows. And yet the way that things worked out, it's it's comical in a, in a sense. There he is trying to kill Mordecai and here the king is trying to bless Mordecai. And he says, what would the, what should the king do if he wanted to honor somebody in Haman? full of himself and full of pride, thinks, oh, he must be saying this about me. So he says, put him on the king's horse, the king's robes on him, let him wear the king's ring and proclaim how great he is in the streets. And then the king says, that's a wonderful idea. I want you to lead Mordecai out into the city streets and do everything you just said. How humiliating. Then he goes home, Haman goes home after that, cries like a little baby to his wife. And his wife says, you can take care of him. Just put him in the gallows. Well, the second the day comes up, and, and Haman and the king are invited to another feast and they go there. And then what's told them or what's said at that point was that uh, Esther says, my people are going to be murdered. And the king says, who in the world would order such a thing as that? And she says, Haman, this wicked man over here. So Haman at that point is very scared. And the king then orders Haman to be hung on that giant gallows he made for Mordecai. and then. Esther and Mordecai come to him and plead. And he says, the law of the Medo-Persians is that I cannot go back on the laws that, that have been made, but I'll give you my, my ring, which is the, the signet stamp on any kind of letters or things that come out of here. I'll give you that. And you, you have my permission to do whatever you want to try and undo all of what's happened. Well, they write a letter and they empower all of the Jews to defend themselves. And then they take a, a, a Medo-Persian army or a smaller army of people to fight against those that were going to fight against the Jews. And the thing that happened was they won. Also, what happened was that many of those Gentiles converted to the one true God, to the Jews' God. They converted to them because of the fear that was on them because of, of what had happened and then they said the fear of Mordecai, even God raised up this nobody in his eighties, raised up this nobody to be in charge, second in charge to the king over the entire, uh, you know, army, the entire peoples of the Murdo Medo-Persians, excuse me. And so here we find God raises somebody up out of the dust, a nobody and puts them there at that second place in command. God did that with Joseph in the Old Testament. God's done things like that with Daniel, with Nehemiah, with Ezra. He put his people in high political places and he took care of things that otherwise wouldn't have. So overnight, a whole race of people was about to be executed and it was completely reversed, the, the evil plots and wicked plans. So I started out asking, is this, does God want the church to be in defeat? We have uh, certain thoughts, eschatological views, that means end time views, that at times it bothers me so badly to think that the way most people think is, is Jesus is going to return soon and he's going to rapture us out of here before things get really bad. So come Lord Jesus, come. 
and then we just kind of sit and wait for him to come. Meanwhile, wickedness and evil is prevailing outside the walls of the church, so to speak, and there's no check. There's, there's nothing that is going against them. I believe this is wholly against the spirit of the gospel. Jesus even said that we were to occupy until he comes. We are to live like he may not come for hundreds or thousands of years more. The problem is, is that because of some of our beliefs in what happens at the end of times, we have allowed those beliefs to just made us, make us sit down and just let things play out as they may. But God has raised up his people to be an army. We're to be the light in the darkness around us. We're to be the salt of the earth. And I am proposing from what we've just read here that God wants to do far more than what we at this point are kind of sitting back and allowing to happen. There's a greater expectation that God wants to give to us. And what is that greater expectation? In the midst of this chronological Bible, the Reese chronological Bible that I was telling you about that I'm reading, it has some Psalms interspersed. Uh, two of the Psalms that I'd like to read or, or read portions of right now is Psalm 111 and Psalm 113. In Psalm 111 in the sixth verse, it reads, He, God, hath shewed his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. There's another place in the Psalms where it speaks about Christ, the anointed one, receiving the, the heritage of the heathen. We're told that we're going to sit in heavenly places with Christ, that we will reign and rule with him. So he says he has showed his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. In other words, you and I can read through the scripture. We can see the terrific battles that had gone throughout ages. We can see where God's people were oppressed, were put down and under, were under such tyrannical and oppressive rule. And then God turned the tables. He turned it around. And he usually raised up a person or a couple people. Those people put their faith in God. And as that happened, they were emboldened. Oftentimes, if you read the prayers in the scriptures, it says, this happened and this happened and this happened. Then you raised this kind of a person up and you tore down these armies. You did, and they rehearse things that God has done in the past. They rehearse those before God. And before they know it, their faith is so built up, they grip hold of God to ask him to do the same thing in their present situation and circumstance and in their day, like he did previously in the past. And that's the same thing for us. God is the same yesterday, today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. He's still the same as he always was. It's not like, oh, because we're in the new covenant now, God is just ushy-gushy and, and there's no judgment, there's no power. It couldn't be farther from the truth. But we're told that he has showed us the power of his works. Why? There's a reason God has showed us the power of his works and keeps them on display over and over again. God has a tremendous reason and a tremendous purpose for that. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570 
362-7782. So he said that he had a tremendous purpose for showing his people the power of his works. And he primarily shows us those things as we look in the scriptures. What is this tremendous purpose? What is God doing? Well, what God is doing, he's showing his people the power of his works for this reason, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. God wants to conquer this world with the gospel. The heathen are the lost masses of people that don't know God. They live like they don't know God. They don't, they don't even know what to say as, as things relate to God whatsoever. But this is who they are. They're lost in darkness. And you know what? If the Christians don't stand up and take their rightful place in society and take that authority because Jesus is sitting on his throne, all power has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's the authority that he's given to us, but we haven't taken the authority. He's given us the authority because he's on the ultimate throne, and then he wants us to rule and reign in cities and towns and villages and places and states and countries here on this earth. Now, that's a foreshadow of things to come when at the end, the world is going to be filled with just righteousness and that's it. Right now, though, there is a conquering militant church that is still here on earth. And at this point, we're, we're almost not even militant anymore. We're more kind of like the, you know, the church that needs to be consoled and padded and it'll be okay. Jesus is coming soon. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't times that the consolations of God come to us in difficult times and we, we partake in the sufferings of Christ. However, I do not think that God intended for his church to be limp and powerless like it appears to be now when we have such promises as that, that he showed us his powerful works, that he may give his people, the heritage of the heathen. I believe he wants to capture cities and towns and villages. You can read about the great awakenings that had taken place. And they just, it was like billows of conviction rolling over towns and cities and different places. They were rolling over all those and taking over so many different things in society, businesses and whatnot for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he got a hold of people. And yet I do not believe that kind of an awakening or conviction will come down except that we, the church, take our authority that he has given to us as the church. We're not grasping something out of God's hands as he's holding it and unwillingly wanting to, oh, okay, I guess you can do it. He said, command ye me the works of my hands. This is the heart of God to us as Christians. And it's played out in that whole biblical narrative that I just told you about with Esther previously. Move on to Psalm 113 in, in verse four. It says, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even the princes of his people. Is not that what happened to Mordecai? Is not that what happened to Esther? She was made a queen. Mordecai made the second in command to the king. Is that not what happened to Joseph? Is that not what happened to Ezra, to Nehemiah, to Daniel, to Gideon? There's been so many God has raised up to do mighty works and he wants to do exploits through his people. If there's ever a time, <clears throat> excuse me, where we need something like this in America and even the world at this point, it's now. Look what's going on. The people that hate God, they're laughing. 
we're just we're just allowing this to roll by. It's not going checked at all. Where where are we as Christians? Where's our faith? Is it in the politicians? I'm thankful for when we have politicians that stand up for conservative value, but really that is a buffer. That's just a buffer because the hearts of men are wicked, desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? God does. The gospel is the only hope to change things around here. And so what are we going to do? Is the, is the world around us going to have the gospel go out? No. Is the world around us going to stand for all the gospel principles? No. They may stand for certain conservative principles here and there. You find people that have that conviction that conservative principles are better and morally right, but not all those people are saved. A lot of times there's politicians that say that they're Christians, but when you when you look into their lives, they don't act like it. They don't live like it. They don't live according to this book. They don't know what it means to be born again, to be radically made new, to have repented from their sins, to be filled with the Spirit of God. They don't know those things. And yet we're putting our hope and our trust in them. Psalm 146 says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Well, then where are we supposed to put our trust? I think it goes without saying as we're going through this that he wants us to put our trust in him. And in so doing, the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. If we put our trust in men, we're going to get turned, the church is going to get turned upside down. But if the church puts their trust in God, the world would be turned upside down. Wasn't that the accusations that was brought against Paul and the early apostles? Here's these men that turneth the world upside down. Where is that in these days? And I'm speaking to myself too. God help us, but I really do believe it's not going to be that, that one person's going to be able to pull it off, but it's going to take one person to obey God and then the next person to obey God and the next person to obey God. And when they step out and take their authority and faith and move on the sinful culture around them, what would God do? I don't believe God will sit by and not reward the obedience of his servants. I believe that he would come in and he would turn things upside down. He would give us the heritage of the heathen. But right now we don't believe that. So we're not working towards that end. This is a challenge to my own heart. It's, it's filled me with great hope these past few days as I've read through these verses. This has filled me with great hope and looking at the whole account of what happened to Esther and Mordecai and the Jews that, were, that happened and that, that immortal statement that Mordecai says to Esther, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I've heard so many people say, some people are excited about being in the end times where we're in the end of times. And I, what a privilege to be here. And others are like, I wish I didn't live in this time because it's probably going to be a terrible time and tremendous amounts of torture. There's two ends of the spectrum there. But the question goes out, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That question goes out to you, believer. If you're not a believer, you need to repent of your sins. You need to confess all. You need to lay yourself at the mercy of the cross of Christ, right down at his feet. Confess who you are to him and put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will save you and make you a new creature. That you need to do if you've never experienced it. If you're not walking in truth right now, if you're living in sin, you need to be saved. But to those that do know Christ, who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? You may be here for a specific reason and purpose as far as the spreading and the extending of the borders of the kingdom of Christ. But if we don't stand up to our privilege, we'll be passed by or terrible judgments will fall even worse than they have. I believe the judgments can be abated if the church turns, if the church turns to God and if we go forward and obey him the way that he wants us to. 
We can look at that whole narrative of the people coming out of Egypt and disobeying God and wandering in the wilderness. We're in a wilderness right now. But if we put our faith and trust in God, if we repented and put our faith and trust in God and move forward, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? It's you, Christian, that needs to stand up and take your rightful place in society. If we sit back and we're waiting for the politicians and people to do it, we've already seen where that leads. We're disappointed all over and again. Some people think that those that have socialist, communistic ideal are going to bring in a utopia. Just read history for just a little bit. It's never worked and it never will because the human heart is desperately wicked and given enough power, it'll get worse and worse. And that's what a socialist or communist environment brings. They're saying that they're trying to even out the classes, but what happens is there's always somebody at the top and those people at the top end up being oppressive and tyrannical. There is no point in history where it's ever worked and it never will because humanity's answer is not going to work. God's answer is the only thing that's going to work. So we've got that side. Then we got the others that say we hate communism and socialism. So we're going to go over here on the conservative side and we're going to, we're going to trust in this and the, in the Republicans. Well, good for us if we believe in conservative values and limited government, but that's not going to save us either because the people on that side still have the same heart condition as the people that are, that believe in socialism and communism. Their heart is still desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. They need to get saved just as well as those that are on the left. The only answer is Christ and you, the Christian, the real Christian who's repented, been born again. You are the one that's coming to the kingdom, God's kingdom for such a time as this. God's kingdom here on earth that he would like to spread the bounds of his kingdom to continue to increase the borders going forward. And you know what? When Esther stood up in the face of her fear and they fasted and prayed and then they went in, And then all of that got reversed and the king said, you have my permission to try and undo this law that's going to kill your people. It says when they went out into every province, many of the people of the land became Jews for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Do you know if the church took their authority and moved forward and was taking ground for Christ here in this physical world in front of us? And ultimately, we know that it's taking the ground in people's hearts spiritually. But if the kingdom of God was spreading because Christians were taking over the culture around them and not allowing the godless, wicked society to control and dictate what happens, fear of God, I believe, would fall down on people. They would start to realize something's going on here. There's a God that's all powerful and almighty above all these little plans we've made. God could sweep in to towns and cities and nations if the Christians would stand up and take their authority. It said in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought to their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell on them. God could make the church, instead of looking like this weak, sickly band of people that just basically have to bend over and allow the scourge of the wicked world to just peel our backs open, he could make us to be kings and priests. Like it says, when Jesus went into uh, up onto high, we have been made kings and priests unto our God. He could make us to be the ones that are ruling and that are reigning in society and pushing wickedness back instead of allowing it to run rampant in the streets and poison the mind of our children, our youth, and our, our, our young adults, the old. It's amazing. 
how brainwashed our society is, how much our, our society is so turned away from God. Christians, it's up to you. Take your authority. Then said Esther, if it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews, which are in Shushan, to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. Swift justice was had when the righteous were in leadership. May God help us. Then there'll be a time of celebration like none of us have known before, but it will only be as we stand up and we look at God's power and his works, and then we take that heritage of the heathen to ourselves. Some of you listening may feel somewhat afraid of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we're taking things in crusades and we're picking up guns and weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But God wants us to do things in these days, not to sit idly by and watch everything fall to pieces. It's up to us, church. And are we going to stand up and take our rightful authority? Are you going to, dear listener? Will you do it? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com or meet us in the public square on Sunday at noon. I want to talk with you and help you along in your journey. Tell Tell your friends about our social media accounts and this broadcast. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.